This is, uh, I'll, be, I'll be perfectly honest. Have, has anybody ever read the book, um, Who Moved My Cheese? Is that the name of it? Um, if you've not read that book, I would encourage you to read it. It's just a little, little, small little booklet almost. But it explains so much why, or how different people deal with change. And um, my, a lot of my cheese has been moved over these last couple of weeks. I mean, I, could, I don't want to go into great detail about it, but there's a lot of change going on in our lives. And um, I thought I had handled everything pretty well until yesterday in that wedding ceremony. I realized I've just been pushing a lot of it down and haven't dealt with it. So I have no idea as I preach this message this morning because this message is like a needle to a pimple. You know what I'm talking about? Sorry, ugly, ugly picture, but that is the honest truth. Um, this whole series has been like that for me. The series in Habakkuk has been that way for me. And I knew, I knew six months ago when God directed my attention toward this little book that it, it was setting us up to help us deal with change, to deal with situations we didn't like, to deal with circumstances that leave, leave us scratching our heads and I don't know about you, I know I've engaged several of you in, in, uh, in conversation, so I know what some of you are going through, I don't know what all of you are going through, but just this week, for instance, I got two phone calls from two different people, people that I've known for a long time, people I really care about, one was telling me how <clears throat> the corporation he worked with suddenly shut down, owing him over a million dollars in dividends leaving he and his wife and family and young kids in a terrible predicament, having to start all over again, um, finding a job and all that goes with it. Another friend of mine called me. She is a, uh, an executive in one of the larger companies here in this area. And she was just asking my advice. She said that unexpectedly, four years away from retirement, four years away from retirement, she was called into the president's office and she was told that her contract was being terminated. And so she's got to start all over again. And, and she was asking me, why would God do something like that? And uh, so I know I'm not the only one dealing with a lot of change, okay? Having to deal with a lot of circumstances that I don't understand. I have friends who are here in this fellowship going through the same thing. And I have friends outside this fellowship going through the same kinds of things. So I know you're asking questions. Tough questions, uh, looking to God for answers and wondering why isn't the answer coming. I, I know that, and that's why this series has touched in my own heart a personal cord. And uh, wow, getting back to that metaphor, it's the needle to my pimple, if you don't mind. And uh, actually, I see some of you do mind, so we'll move on. Look, let, let me just get right into this passage of Scripture. I, I do have copies that I've made of the last two series, uh, sermons from this series, uh, we'll pass them out at the end of service. If the podcast didn't record, so we don't have them recorded for you, but I do have the manuscripts that I'd be more than happy to give to you, because, you know, in, in, in my mind anyway, this is one of the most important series I've ever preached um, since 1987 when I started in ministry. Maybe because it's hitting me where I'm at, um, but I'm, I, I think it will help a lot of people as well. But let me get into, into this third sermon from the series that we started in this little book called Habakkuk. 
At some point in this life, at some point in this life, most believers will experience frustration in their walk with God. You're going to be frustrated with God at some point. Frustration because it seems like He isn't meeting your needs. Frustration because it seems like He's unconcerned with your problems and your circumstances. Frustration because He doesn't seem to listen to you when you pray. Frustration because He won't do what you expect Him to do. At some point, at some point, you're going to experience frustration with God. Come on, honest people in the room. Maybe you're, are you there today? Let me ask you that. For instance, and it's throughout the Bible, so don't be caught by surprise in any of this. It's throughout the Bible. I, I was reading through the book of Jonah as part of my Bible reading plan just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> by the way, I'm in Job right now. <laughs> it was in Jonah <coughs> a couple of weeks ago as I started preparing for this series. Well, no, I was actually working on this particular sermon. And if you go back and read the four little chapters there in the book of Jonah, you see that Jonah was frustrated because God called him to go preach to the Ninevites. Now, Jonah hated the Ninevites because they were the enemies of God's people. And Jonah feared that if he went and did what God called him to do, that they would repent and that God would spare the Ninevites from destruction. So, so Jonah tries to run away from God. We know the story. He gets swallowed up by a great fish. The great fish pukes him up on the beach. The beach just happens to be right, right close by to what? The city of Nineveh. And sure enough, when Jonah finally agrees to obey the Lord, he begins to preach in the streets of Nineveh, and the people, just like Jonah was afraid they do, they repented, they turned to God, and God spared the city of Nineveh, Nineveh from judgment. You see throughout this story how frustrated Jonah is with God. Jonah's frustrated because God is making him do something he doesn't want to do. And then Jonah is frustrated with God because God shows the Ninevites mercy. And it frustrates Jonah even more because he wanted Nineveh to suffer judgment instead. He goes outside the city. Read, the chat, read Jonah 4 for yourself. He gets so frustrated with God he sits down outside the city and the sun is beating down on him. So he says, okay, God, I want some shade. God gives him shade in the form of a gourd. Weird story. The gourd grows so big it provides him shade, but then guess what happens the next day? The gourd dies. And there's that sun beating down on him again. All through this story, it's this man of faith, this man of power, frustrated with the God that he's serving. So don't be ashamed or surprised if you find yourself in your own journey with God frustrated. Frustrated. Sometimes it seems like God just does the opposite of what we think He should do. He'll painfully discipline us as His children, but then He appears to overlook the sins of unbelievers around us. They get away with everything. It's frustrating. He'll heal one saint, and then he lets another saint die. Why? What's up with that? He'll miraculously deliver one family from harm, while another family suffers incredible loss. Frankly, I'll be honest with you, and this is where I'm at. 
and I believe that biblically I can support the way I feel. <laughs> I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I'm not the first one to have felt this way. Sometimes God just doesn't make sense. We love Him. We serve Him. We think we know Him. Man, He can be frustrating. And no, lightning bolts didn't come down and strike me, so I'm good, right? That's what I love about God. He's not afraid of my questions. He's not afraid of my doubt. He's not afraid of my fears. He allows me to ask Him the questions that are pressing on my heart and mind. He gives me room to express myself to Him with freedom. Because why? He loves me. He loves me. But more than anything, He wants me to trust Him. Trust Him. And this is where the book of Habakkuk comes in. It's a conversation between a frustrated man of faith and his God. In the first sermon a couple, about a month ago now, in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1-11, through 11, Habakkuk wanted to know why God was overlooking the sins of Judah. And then God replied and said He intended to deal with Judah, but not in the way Habakkuk wanted Him to. Because instead of revival and rescue, God was sending judgment and destruction to Judah. God's instrument of justice would be the hated Babylonians, a people who were far worse, far worse sinners than Judah ever pretended to be. And this frustrated Habakkuk. It frustrated him no end. So in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 through 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he continues this conversation with God. He asks God three questions. And a couple of weeks ago, we got to the first question, because that's as far as we could go. The first question was this, who are you, God? Who are you, God? And in verse 12, we see Habakkuk run through a list of foundational beliefs about God. And we see in, in this one verse that Habakkuk refers to God as the everlasting sovereign Lord. He said, you are the God who invites us into a personal relationship that you are a holy God without any imperfection, that you're the rock we cling to in times of trouble. Let me tell you something. Step back for just a minute. That's always a good thing to do. It's always a good thing to step back and ask yourself, what do I really believe about God? Especially when you find yourself in trouble. It's always a good exercise to do when you find yourself frustrated with God. We need to stop and remind ourselves who God is because... When things don't make sense, the question isn't really do you believe in God? The question is, what kind of God do you believe in? That's the real question that we, that we have to come to grips with. What kind of God do I believe in? When things don't make sense, you're going to find out just how good a theologian you really are. Unfortunately, a lot of people, and you've heard this statement before, I tried God, He didn't work. You ever heard that before? I tried him. He didn't work. That's because your view of God is so pitifully small, you have no idea who he is. You wanted him to work in the way you wanted him to work. You wanted to be God. Guess what? You ain't God. First spiritual law. He is God. You are not. When you're in trouble, going through situations that don't make sense, you find out how good your theology is. And we're all theologians. You're either a good one or a bad one. 
you need to be a good one to get you through troubling times. But we, what we see is in that little faith-building exercise in verse 12, it only leads Habakkuk to ask God a couple of more questions. He asks a couple more questions, and that's what we're going to get to today. And then you see Habakkuk make a decision in chapter 2, verse 1, about how he's going to respond, or how he is going to live the remainder of his life as he waits for God to answer the questions that he puts to them. So let's read the passage of Scripture. Let's get into the, <coughs> into the rest of this passage and break it down. <coughs> Habakkuk's second complaint. Lord, are you not from everlasting? This is from a couple of weeks ago. My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Now we get into today's sermon. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and he burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk's decision. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for its power. Thank you for its relevance, and I pray, Lord, you would help get me out of the way. Just move me out of the way and speak to your people this morning, especially those who are frustrated in their faith, who are going through situations they don't understand. Lord, I believe that many of us are asking the same questions that Habakkuk is asking. Help us to respond in faith as we wait for your answers. And in the meantime, as we wait, strengthen our hearts deepen our faith, make our commitment to you stronger. Help us to lean on you a little bit more, lean into you a little bit more. Help us to draw our strength and our comfort from knowing truly who you are. I praise you and I thank you for this word and its power and the spirit of God that's going to bring it to life in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Habakkuk first asks God, who are you? He then in verse 12 runs through a list of God's qualities and character traits. That's always a great exercise to do. And then Habakkuk follows up by asking God a second question. And this is the nature of the second question that he asks. God, if this is who you are, then how can you do this? If this is who you are, if you are who I believe you to be, then how in the world can you let this happen? Have you ever asked a question like that? I did this week. Verse 13 phrases it this way, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing, God. Then why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up 
those more righteous than themselves. You see, this is what really is beginning. This is really what bothers Habakkuk. If God cannot tolerate wrongdoing, and the Bible says He cannot, then how could God use these wicked Babylonians of all people on the earth, how could God use these wicked Babylonians to judge Judah? Habakkuk just did not understand how a holy, righteous God could do something like that. Babylon's sins were far worse than Judah. How could you, a righteous God that will not tolerate wrongdoing, use a people that are worse than Judah to exercise judgment against those people? I mean, is there a disconnect between who God is and what God does? Is there a contradiction in what God says and the way God acts? Now we know the answer to that question is no. Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Look, there are no contradictions with God. There are no contradictions with God. There is no shadow of changing in his character. But, don't you hate the but? But, sometimes God does things that seem to us to be inconsistent. Let me say that again. Sometimes God does things that seem, say those three words, seem to us. I did my best this week to try to find somebody that did needlepoint. Needlepoint. Anybody here do needlepoint? I wish I'd known that. You guys know when you're doing needlepoint, you've got this little picture you're trying to draw on the top side of the cloth with the thread, right? What does the underside of that cloth look like? A mess. Here's the problem. Our perspective is, it's like looking at a piece of needlepoint from our perspective. We see the underside. We see the mess. One day God's going to flip that thing right side up, and we're going to see this beautiful picture. We ain't there yet. Thank you. You can do that. It's not me. This is the point of Scripture. We're living in a mess. It's broken. It's not like it should be, but one day God is going to turn that mess right side up, and we're going to see how good He's been and all He's done in His love for us, in His grace and mercy toward us. Alright? Sorry, I wish I'd known who to call. Anyway, there's a story I wanted to share with you as well on this, because I think it really brings to light how perspective makes all the difference. Perspective makes all the difference. Our perspective is so limited that sometimes we don't really see what God is doing in the moment. Sometimes what He is doing will make sense later. Sometimes what he's doing will not make sense until we get to heaven. All right? This guy named Samuel Bringle. Samuel Bringle was a worker with the Salvation Army in Boston many, many years ago. And as he passed by a saloon, some thugs threw a brick at him. And their aim was really good. It hit him in the head. And Mr. Bringle nearly died. 
He spent 18 months recovering from his injury, literally having to learn to talk again, to walk again. Now, do you think Mr. Bringle ever struggled to understand why God didn't do a better job of protecting him from that brick? I imagine several times that thought crossed his mind. God, why didn't you stop the brick? God, why didn't you redirect the brick? God, why was there even a brick there for them to throw? I imagine the questions went on and on and on. But while he was recovering from his injury, Mr. Bringle wrote a little book that was entitled Helps to Holiness. Thousands of copies were published. Thousands of copies were passed out to people who asked Christ Jesus into their heart. And after he was, after he was able to begin preaching again, people would often stop him and thank him for that book. And his response to them would be this, if there had been no little brick, there would have been no little book. If there had been no little brick, there would have been no little book. You see, in the moment, it doesn't make sense. God, where are you? But sometimes later you get to look back and say, oh, that's what you were doing. I just couldn't see it at the time. As a matter of fact, guess what happened? His wife took that little brick and she had engraved on it Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, that says, and this is from the story of Joseph. Come on, we know the story of Joseph. Sold into slavery by his brothers, put in a prison on unjust charges, languishing there, wondering if he was ever going to get out, wondering if God was ever going to fulfill His purpose for him. Remember the story? She, wrote, she had this little verse engraved on it. You intended to harm me but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's perspective. That's the change that perspective brings to our view. When God allows us to see what He's doing, it may not make sense in the moment, but later we'll understand. We'll get it. You see, it really all, listen, this, this, is, this is the key to the whole, this is the key to your life as a follower of Christ Jesus. This is the key to it all. It all boils down to trust. 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 Do we trust God to be God even when we don't understand what He's doing? God is good all the time. All... Let's do that right now, though. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. I am a witness. Do we trust Him? Do we trust Him when it doesn't appear to be so good? Do we trust Him when we're slogging it through just trying to make it to shore? Is, is God still good when the bank accounts run dry and the job dries up and the husband walks out and the judge doesn't do what you want. Is God still good? God is good. All the time. I'm a witness. I'm a witness. Do you trust God to be God even when you don't understand what He's doing? Because after all, He's God. We're not. 
first spiritual law. You have to keep that always in your mind. If you're walking with Christ, you're going to walk through some tough times. You're going to walk into some times where you're frustrated with God, where it doesn't make sense. You've got to keep in mind, He's God, you're not. He's God, you're not. He knows everything, you do not. He is sovereign, you are not. He knows what is best for your good and His glory, you do not. He's God, you're not. Trust, it all boils down to trust. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven, He does whatever He pleases. And as the sovereign God of the universe, He's free to act in any way He deems best for our good and His glory. Even when we don't understand what He's doing. Even when He leaves us scratching our heads wondering, what? How could you do that? I didn't put this up on the the PowerPoint, but I want you to write it down. Because this is, this is really, this is really the truth. This is really the truth when it comes to walking with God free of frustration, if there is such a possibility. Until we accept that He is God, and we are not. Until we accept that He is God, and we are not, our frustration with, with the Lord will only continue. I can't think of a more profoundly true statement right now to to share with you. Until you accept that He is God and you are not, your frustration with Him will only continue. But even if, but even if you fully accept and fully embrace His status as God, you're still going to be asking this third question. I promise you, you will. I find myself there right now. How long is this going to last? Come on, John. You're a witness to that too, right, brother? Diane? All of you who have walked with the Lord for any period of time, you're going to find yourself saying, I know you're God. I don't like what you're doing, but I accept what you're doing. Now, how long is it going to last? Verse 17, Habakkuk phrases the question this way. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Now, the he in this verse refers to King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army. Nebuchadnezzar and his army, go back and read the history for yourself, they are conquering one nation after another, and no one can stop him. If ne- <coughs> excuse me, if Nebuchadnezzar saw it, he took it. If Nebuchadnezzar wanted it, he got it. To Nebuchadnezzar, nations were nothing more than fish being caught in his net, and they could not escape destruction. And now. Nebuchadnezzar has his sights set on Judah. Habakkuk's question is this, will this reign of terror go on forever, God? How long will this pain and suffering last? Will there ever be an end to this sorrow? Will there ever be an end to this trouble? 
And I'm telling you, these are the kinds of questions everyone asks when life begins to crumble down around them. How long is this going to go on? Lord, how long will this sorrow last? How long will this trouble continue? We're like the psalmist. Listen, Habakkuk wasn't the first one to ask questions like this. You aren't either. The psalmist asked these very same questions. In Psalm 13, 2, he writes, How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Everybody asks that question at some point. Even when you accept God as God, and you trust Him to do what is best for your good and His glory, you're still going to come to a point where you say, okay, got it, good with it, but Lord, how long? How long? How long? How long am I going to be stuck in this desert? How long am I going to be stuck in this wilderness? How long am I going to be stuck in this jail cell? How long? How long is my reputation going to be trashed? How long? How long am I going to have to live like this with no money in the bank? How long? That's a question. Look, here's the deal too. We're pretty resilient, aren't we, as people? We can put up with a lot. We can endure a lot of hardship, a lot of suffering, as long as we know that eventually it comes to an end. I'm amazed at how people can put up with pain as long as they know the pain someday is going to end. We're We're pretty resilient people. God's made us strong. We're hardwired. We are hardwired to persevere and stick it out as long as we know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But, what if there is no end in sight? What if there is no light at the end of the tunnel? How are we going to make it? How are we going to make it? And I'll just say this. This... My heart breaks. My heart breaks for people who are trapped in addiction and they think this will never end. My heart breaks for teenagers who are in the middle of a family situation and they're thinking to themselves, this isn't ever going to end. I feel sorry. It breaks my heart to think of all the people that I encounter on a daily basis who are in the middle of a really dark tunnel and they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. They say to themselves, this is a life. I don't want to take another step. That's why our suicide rates are shooting through the roof. That's why more and more of us are trying to escape the pain and the sorrow that we're feeling by turning to 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 a pill or to a drug. That's why the the medications for depression are shooting through the roof in our culture. We're just looking for a moment's respite from this darkness that we're in because we don't see the end of it. How are we going to make it? How are we going to make it? I tell you, I can't help but think about Paul. I cannot help but think about Paul, the apostle. As he writes his little letter to the Philippian church, Paul is in a Roman prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. At any moment, the executioner might walk up to his room, 
take Paul out of that little room, unchain him from his guard, and take him to the execution chamber and certain death. Paul had no way of knowing when or how his ordeal was going to end. But in spite of these awful circumstances, in spite of the great darkness that he was living in, in spite of the situation that seemed to have no hope, Paul hoped on, if that's such a thing. This little letter to the Philippians, go home and read it this afternoon. It is so full of joy. It's so full of hope. It's so full of faith in God. How could Paul face such a dark place with such an attitude of faith and joy and hope? Well, you go down to Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, and this is how Paul endured. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. I don't know how other people do it. I cannot speak to anyone else that would rather turn to a pill than Christ Jesus. I just know where my hope comes from. I know where my strength comes from. It comes from Christ Jesus. That's where Paul found his strength, and I'm telling you that's where you're going to find your strength to make it through this dark place. Through Jesus Christ, we can do everything God wants us to do. We can face everything He wants us to face. We can fight every battle He wants us to fight. We can obey every command. We can endure every trial. And we can overcome every temptation through Christ Jesus. Look, we might not know when the trouble will end. We might not know when the trouble will end, but we do know we can make it to the end through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. That's our hope. That's where our strength comes from. That's who you hang on to when there's nothing else to hang on to. So there you have three questions from Habakkuk. Three questions that we all ask at some point in our life. This frustrated man of faith asks God these three questions that we're all going to ask at some point when we walk with God. God, first of all, who are you? Who are you? And we see Habakkuk answer his own question. The second question, God, how can you do this? Listen, when he asks God how you can do this, do you realize that God never answers him? That's, a, that's an answer you have to wait for sometimes. The third question, how long is this going to last? Do you see an answer to that question? As long as it lasts. Is this going to last? As long as it lasts. I'm praying that the trumpet sounds today so I don't have to wait anymore. Y'all got me? I'm good. I'm ready. I'm done with this world of sorrows and troubles. I want to go home. And this is not my home. I'm just passing through. 
So he's asked three questions. He's answered one for himself. He's asked two questions that have no answer yet. These are all honest questions that honest people ask when we find ourselves facing trouble, when we find ourselves frustrated by God. And I want you to notice, Habakkuk doesn't cover up his frustration. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm so sorry. I thought this cough would be over by now. Habakkuk doesn't cover up his frustration and doubt. He doesn't turn to pious cliches and superficial answers. God save us from Facebook memes. God will never lead you where He doesn't provide for you. God won't put anything on you more than you can handle. God save us from Facebook memes that sign God's names to contracts He never drew up. Habakkuk answers the only question he can answer, who God is. And then he waits for God to answer the other two questions. We see Habakkuk trusts God, but he's confused by what he sees God's, God doing. He's a man of faith, but he has serious questions that he can't answer. So Habakkuk arrives at a decision about what he's going to do. And I think Habakkuk makes a great decision. And it's where I find myself today, and I want to pass on to you the wisdom of what Habakkuk does. Because I think he makes a wise decision in the face of his frustration, in the face of these questions he's asked, and the answers he's waiting for. Habakkuk decides to wait on the Lord. He doesn't try to force anything. He doesn't try to take a shortcut out of his problems. He doesn't try to come up with a Facebook meme that explains everything in six simple words. He simply shuts his mouth and waits for the Lord to answer. He quiets his heart. And he stations himself in a place where when God speaks, He'll have ears to hear and a heart to understand what God is saying and doing. We don't know how long he had to wait. We don't know how long he stationed himself and waited for the Lord to respond. We don't know whether he was speaking metaphorically or literally. We don't know if he literally built a platform and then stayed at the top of it. We don't know all that. But at some point, we do know that God answered him. We're going to get to that next week. But there's just one observation I want to make about Habakkuk and his decision to wait on the Lord. And it's an important one for us who have been raised in a microwave generation. We prefer simplistic answers. We prefer practical answers. We prefer somebody give us an action plan that helps us get through this mess. Sometimes there is no action plan. Sometimes, excuse me, sometimes there is no simplistic answer to offer. Just one observation about Habakkuk's decision to wait on the Lord. J. Sidlow Baxter, a great preacher and theologian, said this, People say that God does not speak to men as He did long ago. The truer statement is that men do not listen today as they did long ago. I'm going to say that again. Those of us in the social media world, 
You can't shut up long enough to let God say something to you before you spill your guts on Facebook and ruin your witness. Am I a little angry about some of that? Yes, apparently I am. I need to step back. People say that God does not speak to men as He did long ago. The truer statement is that men do not listen today as they did long ago. Listen, at some point, at some point, we have to stop talking to God about our troubles and problems and start listening to God instead. Thank you for that one amen. I'm going to say it again because I'm expecting more. At some point, we have to stop talking to God about our troubles and problems and start listening to God instead. Thank you. At some point, we need to shut our mouths and quiet our hearts and wait confidently and expectantly for the Lord to reply to the questions we've been asking. Man, that's hard to do. Lord Jesus, that's hard to do. Because when I'm in a complaining mood, ain't nobody going to stop me. I catch myself whining. Oh, I used to be so bad. You guys, some of y'all think I'm bad now. I was the world's biggest whiner back in the day until I finally had a friend confront me about it. And I'm so grateful he did because I've learned how to shut my mouth. As soon as I start whining, I, I literally, a gate comes down over my mind and I try to shut it off. And I try to turn it around and say something that I'm grateful for. Anyway, that's, that's at some point, at some point we've got to stop talking and we've got to start listening, waiting for the Lord to reply. When He replies, we do not know, but we know He will. Sometimes He doesn't reply for years. Sometimes He won't reply until you see Him face to face in heaven. Come on. Y'all got that, right? Sometimes you've got pressing questions and you want answers. And you may, sometime in this lifetime, get an answer that satisfies you. But can I be honest with you? There are some questions that will be left unanswered until you see Jesus face to face. And I don't see any of you in a, in a hurry to get there yet. <laughs> Thank you. You laughed. That was supposed to be a joke. It wasn't very good. Look. Look. It's good. It's good to talk to trusted and godly friends. I, told my, I would tell my teenagers all the time in, in high school, don't go to your friends when you're having life issues. Your friends are in the same predicament you're in. They don't know anything either. Go to somebody that's got a little experience in their background who are heading in a direction you, you need to talk to good and trusted friends. I'm not telling you don't ever talk about your problems. I am saying you, use wisdom. Do it, do it well. Find people you trust and confide all you want in them. Take those problems to God. We've already seen Habakkuk wasn't afraid to do that. You go ahead and take, keep going. If you want to bombard heaven with questions, that's fine. But there comes a time where you've got to understand there is no answer for me right now. So let me just shut up, stay still, and give God a chance. Psalm 37.7 says it. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Our problem is we want an answer. We want it now. We want a miracle and we want it now. We want, we want it now. You do realize you're eternal creatures, right? You have all of eternity to get every question you've ever wanted to ask answered. 
You can afford to wait. You've got more time on your hands than you can possibly imagine to ask those questions and get those answers. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes we're so busy trying to be God, we forget that He is God. Because we take it in our own hands and we're trying to control the situation. We're trying to fix it. My dad has found out you cannot fix dementia. He tries. And it's about to kill him. And I've got to have a tough conversation with him this week about it. And I don't look forward to that conversation at all. But dad, you need to be still and know that you're not God. There are limits to what you can do. There are limits to your capabilities, limits to your resources. Be still and know that He is God. It's a tough lesson to learn, isn't it? Lord Jesus, we want to fix it. We want to fix it now. As we draw to a close here, I just want to share one final thought, and I'm sorry, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit right now, but I hope you bear with me. I think it's really important. I want to share one final thought with you. I want you to understand this. Our deepest problem is not financial. Our deepest problem is not psychological. Our deepest problems are not social or intellectual or emotional. Our deepest problems are always theological. Our deepest problems... Now, if you'll go home and meditate on that a little bit, you'll understand why I'm saying that. I'll be happy to engage any of you in discussion about it. But our deepest problems are always theological, and they boil down to this. Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? What kind of God do I believe in? All the other problems begin to take care of themselves if you can settle the theological issues in your mind and heart. And if you took that question home this afternoon and meditated on it, I hope that this is the answer that you would arrive at. He's not the God you think He is. He's not the God you think He is. He's so much better than you think. He's so much better than you think. God's ways are better. God's heart is better. God's thoughts are better. God's plan is better. All that God is and all that God does is better than you could ever possibly imagine. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says it this way, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. Did you get that? He is able to do what? Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. He's better. Better than you could ever dream He is. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I am a witness. God is good. All the time. I am a witness. This has been my experience since I truly surrendered my heart to Christ at the age of 18. I always think I know who God is. 
and He'll take me through a dark place, a confusing place, a wilderness, a desert. He'll take me through these times and it doesn't make sense. And I become so frustrated with Him. I become so anxious and, and frankly mad at Him sometimes. And yet when He takes me out on the other side, I look back and I think, oh my goodness, that's what you were doing. I've got story after story after story I could share with you where He has proved this time and time and time again. He is better than I could ever imagine Him to be. I think I know Him. Jen Chapman? You ran from God until a year ago. Then you turned around and ran to God. Come on, girl. Is He better than you ever expected Him to be? Is that your testimony? Is that your testimony? Is that your testimony? So listen to me. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry this has gone a little bit longer than I expected. But this is from my heart. We should never be surprised that we continually run into the problem of not understanding Him. We should never be surprised when we have times in our relationship with Him that He frustrates the stew out of us. It should never take us by surprise. It shouldn't surprise us when we feel frustrated because His answers don't always line up with our desires. So what do you do when you pray to God and don't get the answer you expect? That's going to happen to you sooner or later. I, I love young believers when they come up to me and they tell me how God is answering one prayer after the other. And I keep thinking... When's that going to stop? Because He's going to expect you to grow up at some point. He's not your divine vending machine. He's your heavenly Father, and a relationship is completely different with Him than with anybody else you've got right now. I'll tell you. You know, as a, as a little baby, you're constantly, you only got, what, a couple things to check, but make sure they're fed, make sure they're clean. So when you're a little baby, God's making sure you're fed, making sure you're clean. But then as that baby grows up, guess what? He takes on more responsibility, doesn't he? Young believer, guess what? There's going to come a day where God may not answer the prayer that you're praying because, first of all, it may not be good for you right now. I see so many of you. Come on, Doug, Douglas is in the house. I love you, Douglas. Come on, Douglas. I'm going to just, you give me an amen on this, all right? I know so many of these young ladies who as soon as they gain a measure of sobriety and, and God is answering prayers, the next thing they ask for is, I need a man to come into my life to complete me. And for some reason, God doesn't immediately bring to them a man to complete them. You know why? Because they're asking a stupid question. No man can complete you. I saved John a little counseling time right there. John's happy with me because I just saved him a lot of counseling time. <laughs> See, a lot of what God does is He takes us through these times of frustration. 
Because really what He's wanting us to do is look to Him to complete us, not to anything else. So if you find yourself thinking, man, if I just had a man, He'd complete me. You just told God, she can't take a man right now. It works the other way too, guys. Just saying. Okay. That completely free of charge. If you want to tip me in the back, go right ahead. Okay. So, we'll get back. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place today. <laughs> Andrew's got to edit all this, and I feel sorry for him. Simmer down now. So, what do you do? What do you do when God makes you feel frustrated because He won't do what you want Him to do? Well, you can try bargaining. <laughs> Douglas laughed. You can try bargaining with Him. If you, God, if you do this, I'll do that. <laughs> At some point, you're going to realize you're going to lose that bargain, let's just say. Just shut that down real quick. You can get angry. That doesn't help, does it? You can ask him some more questions. And that's what Habakkuk did. And it's okay. You just may not get an answer right away. You may not get an answer you want. You can run through the first principles about God, those foundational beliefs about God. And that's a good thing. And it might help. But you know what the best thing you can do is? is? Wait. An ugly four-letter word, wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Just wait. Knowing that, 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 um, know that what doesn't make sense right now and what's frustrating you right now is going to make perfect sense later. If you'll wait. Read the Bible story for yourself. The people who waited on the Lord were fully satisfied when God answered their questions. Look at the people who couldn't wait, who had to have the answer now, had to have the miracle now, had to have the change now, had to have the... Oh, they just dug a deeper hole for themselves and their people. Learn to wait. The best thing you can do is to learn to wait on the Lord. Know that what doesn't make sense right now is at some point going to make sense later. Listen, waiting is good for your soul. We don't like to hear that in America because we, want, we don't want there to be a line to anything. I don't want a line at Walmart. don't want a line at the grocery store. don't want a line at the movie theater. I don't want the traffic to ever slow down on I-65. I don't like to wait on nobody and nothing. That's a character defect. I'm guilty. I admit it. Traffic is my kryptonite. I lose my salvation. <laughs> but what I have learned is this. Waiting is good for my soul. Waiting is good for my soul. It teaches me to trust God. It teaches, listen, seriously. Waiting teaches me to trust God. To depend on Him. Not on the people around me or the situation I'm in or the person who's signing my paycheck. Waiting teaches me to trust God. It's good for my soul. It teaches me to live by faith in God. Taking Him at His word to do what He says He will do. It stops me from becoming God and ruining my life. 
It teaches me to persevere when I want to give up. It builds up my character. It conforms me to the image of Christ. Waiting. Waiting is good for our soul. Learn to wait. Learn to wait. And as you wait on Him, here's, here's what God says He'll do. He promises to give us strength to endure. Strength to make it through the tunnel that we're in. Strength to get out of this wilderness that we find ourselves. Strength to make it through this desert. Strength to get through. Somebody posted it on Facebook this, this week. I think it was Lauren Aker. Isaiah 40, 31. I want us to read this verse together. I want you to memorize this verse, if you will. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Too many of us are living like chickens. Oh, I know it's true. Guilty. We got our head down. We're not chickens. We're not created to live like chickens. We're created to fly like eagles. And if we'll learn to wait on the Lord, if we'll learn to wait on the Lord, to trust in Him, to lean on Him, to depend on Him, if we'll let Him do the work He's trying to do in our life as we wait, we'll become eagles. And we'll soar. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the old song would go on to say, teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord, to wait. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. I know a lot of us find ourselves in positions we don't like very much. They're uncomfortable. You're frustrated. You're anxious. But again, let me go back to what I said so much earlier in this message, and I hope you can remember it. It's been such a long time. It all boils down to trust. Do you trust God to be God even when He doesn't make sense? Some of you are in some pretty dire circumstances right now. And you'd like to think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but you haven't seen it yet. Well, I'm telling you, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. As a matter of fact, there is a light right now where you're at, the light of the world, Christ Jesus, who wants to illuminate your life and bring you understanding and peace and strength as you Carry out this journey that you're on. Look, God loves you. He's brought you here today. He's given you this message today to remind you you're not alone. That He's with you, even now. He's knocking on the door to your heart. And He's asking you to let Him in. To let Him in. To let His light fill up your darkness. To let His strength become your own. As you continue this journey toward heaven, 
He may not answer all your questions right now, but there will come a day when all of your questions will be answered. And all of your doubts will melt away. And you will stand before Him face to face and you will know Him because you will have been made like Him. You're not there yet. There's still some tunnel to go through. But Christ has promised that He'll never leave you nor forsake you. No matter how dark things seem to be. Will you let Him come in and give you peace? Will you let Him come in and give you His hope? And give you an assurance of His presence in your heart? I'm making an appeal today for those of you who haven't yet trusted Christ as Savior. Will you turn to God and let Him be God in your life? Will you lay down your rebellion? Will you unclench your fists and open up your heart and let Jesus be Jesus to you? Your Savior, your Lord, your King, your Redeemer. Stop fighting God. We've heard testimonies this morning of how God has radically altered lives. Once running away from God, instead they stopped and turned toward God, and now they have found Him to be better than anything they could ever imagine. What God has done for many of us, God will do for you. Anybody in this room, anyone in this room, who will repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Bible says they will be saved. So I am making an appeal as a messenger from God to you today. If you've not accepted Christ as Savior, if you have not turned from your rebellion and sin and turned to Christ in faith, today the appeal is being made to you. Turn to God and find life. Turn to God and find peace. Turn to God and find hope. He offers it to you through His Son, Christ. John's going to be leading us in some hymns in just a moment. John, if you wanted to go ahead and start playing, that'd be great. These altars are open. I'm going to stay up front. And If you have a friend that you know loves the Lord and you, want, you need prayer or you want someone to explain more of the Gospel to you, I'm going to be here and others will be here as well. But don't let this moment pass. You do not have to stay in this tunnel forever. There is hope. There is light. There is love. There is peace. If you need Christ in your heart, this is the moment. There are others here, you're following Christ, but you're so frustrated in your walk with Him right now. You're worn out by the situation you're in. You have come to the end of your rope. You feel the anger that you've been suppressing and you are just ready for God to do something. Don't leave this place without expressing your questions, without expressing your concerns to the Lord. Let someone come alongside and pray with you today. I'm not saying that God's going to give you the answer you want today, but I do believe He will give you the strength that you need today.
to endure, to persevere, to keep walking it out. These altars are open. John's going to lead us in worship. He's going to ask everybody to stand. If you need prayer today, this is your moment. This is your opportunity. We're here to help. Jesus, have your way now. Open up every heart and mind to, the, to your presence. And may we, God, have an attitude of surrender here in this room right now. Spirit of God, move in our lives. Remove every barrier, every hindrance. Help us to bring our lives into submission to your authority. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.